Hello and welcome to another episode of the Creative Waffle Podcast. This is episode 45. I am your host, Mark Hirons, and today we're chatting to Becky Margraff. Now, you may know Becky through 100 Day Projects or Little Felt Characters that she posts on Instagram. This is a very interesting episode with a lot of insight into the education of design. So, I hope you enjoy it, and this is my conversation with Becky. How are you today, Becky? I'm doing great. How are you? Awesome, yeah. Good stuff. Keep keeping on. Um, so, mm-hmm. so you, you've had, uh, you dabbled in a lot of creative fields. Um, as I was listening to another podcast with you on uh, Creative South, and, oh, and yeah. it, like, you start, it's like, how long, how long ago is that podcast just out of interest? Um, oh, uh, oh, that's a good question. I think that was in, that was right before August, I think, because I was, I was right. preparing to do um, an art show in Portland, and I think that that was the first week of August, so yeah. late, late summer, so a few months. Cool. We'll start from the beginning. You grew up in uh, Texas, is that right? Yeah. Yeah. Does, yeah. does Texas have much of a creative uh, area? or? Um, it does. I mean, I, I think I, the area that I grew up in was very uh, focused on academics and sports. Uh, so there was, there were, oh, I mean, you know, pretty much anywhere you go, you can find creative people either deep in a great creative atmosphere or fighting against their very non-creative atmosphere and, and uh, triumphing uh, through it. But um, it was, I mean, I, I kind of had to uh, spend a lot of time cre- like making my own creative opportunities in, in high school and school especially um, there was I mean a lot of the focus was definitely on and the money was definitely going towards sports and the uh, AP classes and the kids who were uh, putting us at the top of all of the competitive lists um, which the arts were I mean our, our programs were pretty good but they were pretty limited right. uh, but some schools I mean there were there are some schools I think that had really good focuses on that but um, I spent most of my time all of my kind of creative projects were mostly extracurricular and then I uh, like I joined our journalism classes and did yearbook and newspaper and uh, found kind of discovered a love for design through those and actually had a way to practically apply them uh, in school which was nice cool I mean did you have creative parents from like were you creative from like pretty much the very start like a young age or my my parents are both in the medical field actually right. um, so I think it was it was sort of a strange uh, I don't think they really, uh, they, I think they were a little surprised to have, yeah. I, like I grew up, sing, I, I was a really active, um, singer and singer and musician when I was, um, like in middle school and up through early high school. So I was like, I was doing music and then I got really into sort of art and making things. Um, and they were very supportive and they kind of like, I, but I sort of was just like, I want, I think I want to do this or I want to try this. And they were just like, oh, okay, great. Um, but they, my mom's mom was really, really, uh, she created all of these really inter, uh, she was a avid sewer and, uh, she worked a lot with fi- like fabric and fiber arts and crafts. And we had, like, I know, I remember growing up, we had, um, all of, she she would make these really great dolls out of pantyhose like skin colored cool. pantyhose that she would stuff with um, like fluff and create uh, characters out of so we had a bunch of Christmas themed ones that would always went up every year um, and she would crochet like these really wonderful dolls of Mr. and Mrs. Claus and like nice. um, yeah so I think that those like and uh, uh, she passed away when I was pretty young but I think like her mm. that presence and those things were kind of always around and uh, I think they, my parents always joked that I just sort of skipped 
yeah. generation when I got those. So I think uh, there was some of that was must have been inherited, but uh, not directly from my parents. That's that's funny you say that actually because my I'm sort of my my grandfather and was very he's always been uh, drawing. He's a technical drawer, and then um, yeah, my parents aren't anything to do with creative uh, fields. So yes, yeah. yeah, it's, it's funny how he does do that. My parents are pretty are pretty creative people, but I think. Um, and then they're both, you know, they're really, they're really skilled and talented and, and curious. And I think I got a lot of that from them. Yeah. Um, and my dad was like always an avid woodworker um, and always had a place for tools and everything in our house. So I always would go above and beyond whenever I had a creative project opportunity in school. Like I, we made like a, uh, there was a year that we had to do uh we had to create i don't even remember what the actual prompt was but we had to create props that were based off of some some culture uh i don't remember if each group had a different one or it was all based on the same thing but we ended up making like a giant uh like mini log cabin that we like awesome. lugged into school and, and then it like lived outside of our house for a long time and i made like huge life-size life-size i made like huge pyramid uh dioramas that had like hinges that you could open and had like all of the when we were studying egypt and had like all of the light like the stuff that would have been in a tomb so um, they always helped kind of assisted with that and had uh, were willing to share resources or whatever they were interested in which was nice brilliant Uh, so it's obviously been crazy forever pretty much as it sounds yeah I always (laughs) liked to make I think I I think a lot of it was just like I really liked like the projects in school seemed kind of boring and I just wanted to uh I don't know, either be to, like go go as over the top as I could uh, with it as I could get, or maybe I was just I just was overflowing with ideas. I don't know, but um, yeah, I, I I can remember a bunch of really like uh, um, landmark like weird projects that I made um, growing up through school, like a, a PVC skeleton that had um, oh gosh, it was so it, I think it was, I remember them as being like really, really great and they were probably really terrible in hindsight, but um, and this was like in the 90s, so I don't have documentation, or I guess early 2000s, I don't have like great documentation of any of it but made like a PVC skeleton that had like LED tubes to show the central nervous system and I, I think it like fell apart on the way to school, uh, but uh, yeah, all of this is really it's, I think it's, I think I'm making it sound like it was better than it was, it was really terrible, but um, I just like I think I liked to experiment with a little bit of everything, and we had so many random tools and materials that I could um, fiddle with. So. Yeah, yeah, of course. What, what is, is is school in America like the films? Is it is, is it like that? Is it completely different? <laughs> what uh, can you explain what like <laughs> films means to you? Because um, probably, but yeah. <laughs> so. I don't really know. I mean, it seems like about, um, grade school or university and uh, my college and upper level learning. Um, well, both. I mean, because I was going to talk about design college and sort of like mm-hmm. you went to design college. Um, so I presume that's like obviously the red cups and the drinking and and then like having fun and then <laughs> I, I always see like because obviously in films you got like this like very sports and really into sports yeah. sort of side of it. Um, but did you go to design college or is it just a general? 
I did, yeah. Um, and I mean, for <laughs> I'm probably not the right person to talk to about uh, the standard like American school experience because I was really like I don't think I don't think I got drunk for the first time like until I was well into college and uh, like I all of my friends in high school were all in the AP classes and we're all in our high school had a pre med pre pre med program right, yeah. uh, that was uh, for like the kids who were not, I think, maybe it was meant to be like the kids who were either interested in going to, into medical school or were not feeling challenged by the science, math mm. courses. They had like an extra offering. Um, and I wasn't in that program because I was a weird art kid, but all of my friends were. So they all like, you know, they were all deep in their like studies and like we're all taking the high level classes. So I was kind of peer pressured into taking harder class, like harder classes than I wanted to because I wanted to be with my friends. Yeah. Um, and they, we would like oh we like like didn't like none of us drank or like hung out and did that we like had like we like did like well craft parties but we would i don't know we like made videos and like did non non-standard yeah, yeah. American pop culture type things the, um, the red cup like the solo cup like partying when the parents are out of town that stuff definitely does happen um there is definitely a grain of truth to that so if that's the if that was what you're looking for, totally college was like that too um i didn't i i went to a couple of parties like that but that was not my uh not like super my 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 scene i don't yeah. know um but yeah so i went to um i think especially like the big universities are really like that mm. i went to um i was interested in going to a dedicated art school that um was like the whole environment was people who wanted to be in who were interested in art who were creating things who like that was really not an environment i had had access to in high school and um texas didn't ha at the time they may still not um, it didn't have any dedicated art schools. They had really great programs in larger universities, but that was, you know, these are universities that ran the gamut of other things that they offered. And yeah. I, you know, there's probably, there's a lot of value in that cause you get a really diverse friend group who are doing all sorts of things and that's cool. But I think at the time I was really hungry to be surrounded by creative people and, you know, Texas is a pretty, is a very conservative area. A lot of the people that like the high school that I went to was very cookie cut, like very cookie cutter in a lot of ways. And I wanted to live in a city and I wanted to get out of Texas and I wanted to be in an art environment. So, um, I, yeah, I, I, uh, looked, uh, I wanted to move somewhere else. So I ended up moving to the East coast, um, and, went to Massachusetts College of Art and Design and there was very it was like it we had our kind of art school versions of the college cliches I think right. uh, like dr drinking in the dorms when the um, uh, the RAs aren't looking and the kind of crazy parties off-site but um, yeah it was it, there are a lot of art school cliches that you'll like read about or see in movies that are totally accurate so yeah. Cool. I mean, I hear, I hear like stories from my friends who are at university now or college. Like, um, yeah, they're they're sort of that sort of age, and uh, I've got a few people doing design, like obviously in the UK. Um, I hear stories and stuff about what they're learning about, and and yeah, stuff that goes on. But like, what sort, what was it like in America? What sort of stuff did you learn? Like, is it three years? Is it the course, or four? Or there, there are four. I mean, I, so I can only, I only, I, I just went to one school. A bunch of my, my peers actually, um, like started at other schools and transferred in. Yeah. Um, and they got a, probably a wider, 
range of experiences. I can only really speak to mine um, and the school that I went to. Um, so the school that I went to actually was is is still, I believe, the only public art school in the whole country. The rest of them are all private institutions, right. um, and that's really cool. They get uh, so they're really involved with the city of Boston. Um, they have um, it's a lot more um, affordable and um, accessible to people who live in the area, like in Massachusetts or the surrounding areas, which coming from Texas, I was not one of those, but I still really loved the school. Um, and after going through it, like, I think that that's an amazing, like, I think that the school, um, was an amazing place because it, like the education that I got and from listening to all my peers, like everyone got like really like super, like really substantial and kind of strong teaching. Yeah, yeah. Um, we do the mass art is for pretty much, I think all of the bachelor's programs are four years of school or four years worth of credits. Um, Mass art is set up in a way where all of the people in the first year um, is a, it's the studio foundation year. Your freshman year um, is the studio foundation year and everyone goes through the same set of classes that are drawing. There's one called form study where you're building shapes out of cardboard and foam core and uh, learning about 3D. There's visual language, which is uh, like rudimentary computer stuff. It's like the intro to Photoshop, like how to use iMovie, like those kinds of things. Um, And so those courses kind of cover a pretty wide range of the, hey, these are things you might need to know as an artist kind of classes. Um, and you can kind of um, drill into some of them and specifically, you, you know, you can hyper focus like you, instead of just the basic drawing class, like you can take like uh, slightly more focused courses. But um, for the most part, everyone emerges from that foundation year with the same collection of classes. Yeah. And then from your sophomore year through your senior year, the last three years, you well, you switch into your major starting sophomore year. Um, and a lot of people kind of move around or sort of mush them together and focus on one or do a minor or um, double major. But uh, the last three years of the ones that are focused on your specific uh, focus. And like I said, a lot of people switch around or aren't really sure, I think, exactly where they want to focus and some people come in knowing exactly what they want to do which is in my case like I knew I wanted to be a designer um, and the design program is really was very flexible in terms of supporting people who are interested in uh, working in traditional mediums or doing a lot of things by hand like I wasn't just focused on digital design or um, anything like a just making websites or anything like that like it was a very diverse curriculum and that was yeah. cool so the um, yeah I'm uh, I guess that that answers that. I can talk more about like the specific design curriculum that we had. If that's helpful. Yeah, I mean, so you you say you took like co- um, class different classes. So is that like something that the college puts on and and you can go to or you don't have to sort of thing, or is it like a, is it like a project based where you get a project and then you come back a few weeks later with that finished? There, so they the classes are pretty rigorous. Um, all of the classes that we took were. Um, pretty long to um i think it's now been five years so i my details are weirdly fuzzy i thought like when you're in it you're like i'm gonna this is crazy i'm gonna remember this forever and then you kind of it starts to go away which is great but um (laughs) the so we took 
um, all of the classes you are pretty strict. Like you have to attend pretty many, pretty much all of them. Okay, if you yeah. miss more than two, uh, in the design department, if you missed more than two of any class or, or of a class, you failed that class. Um, so they like kept you coming and we, for most of the, um, most of the semesters every year, uh, were pretty structured, at least in the design program. It's like, you know, you, your sophomore year, first semester, you took typography one and typography one met twice a week for four hours a week or for four hours a day, you know, twice a week. Um, and then you would do, um, you'd also have, uh, like information architecture class, which met, uh, for four hours, uh, once or twice a week. And so there were classes that were very regimented and like there were three different sections of that that happened at any time and every graphic design kid in that year was in that class at that time with a different teacher so everyone and so that was their way of making sure that everyone was getting the same fundamental coverage um and uh you had to pass those classes in order to progress to the next year so if you missed too many or if you failed the class just because you didn't do the project, you didn't complete the projects, or you didn't pass the reviews at the end of the year, then yeah, you had to repeat that semester. Yeah. Um, and wow. since they only usually only offered those classes in a certain semester, like they only did typography one the fall semester, yeah. if you failed it, you'd have to wait a whole another year. So that was that. That's a pretty good incentive to stay on top of it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but the way that the classes were structured were they. In advance, they sort of like the the faculty prepare the series, the big kind of capstone, touch pro, uh, the big milestone projects mm. that are done in that class. So every student kind of emerges from that semester with a similar portfolio, uh, in at least conceptually. Like you know, you've designed an infographic based off of a certain data set, and you've designed a a motion piece based off of a certain prompt and you've designed a, an interface that's related to this thing and then you, they kind of you know the actual projects vary depending mm. on the passion of the person who made it and their approach to solving the problem but they so the problem the project prompts were pretty consistent and then we would do like you know, we'd have a, it'd be assigned that it'd be broken into different checkpoints that we'd have to come in with every week. You'd work on your project throughout the week um, and then we do a group critique either yeah you, the next week so everyone would hang up all the work and then we'd it'd be like 8 30 in the morning so everyone would be half asleep with their coffee and like falling asleep on their hand um but we would go around and every single person would talk about what they were working on and check in with their project and everyone would give feedback and yeah. um, a teacher depending on the teacher would like rip it apart or <laughs> be like this is great keep going yeah, yeah. so uh, and then you would, uh, we'd get through all the critiques and those usually took hours cause there were you know 20 kids in every class. And then we would either have work time after that where we'd keep working on the same thing or we'd do an in-class, uh, exercise or they'd be like, all right, do this next. Goodbye. And then they'd push us out the door and we'd just come back the next week and do it. So a lot of it was, was project based, um, earlier on in the four years like earlier on in the three years of the program we did a lot more in-class practice and projects and uh tutorials like they taught uh, when we studied motion design they spent a long time demonstrating how to use the programs and giving mm. us little projects to work on like move this ball from here to here use only two keyframes and so those were you know kind of like 
we are learning with you things, yeah, but yeah. the rest of it was very self-guided um, and project-based for the most part. Cool. I s- that sounds really full on. <laughs> like, uh, it's, it's intense. It certainly yeah. is fun, uh, but it's, you know, like when you're deep in the thick of it, you're like, I'm going to die. I have so many things to do. <laughs> I have like eight big projects I need to finish at any given time, but I also am like working this part-time job and I also like need to sleep. And also I have friends who want to see me. It's just like, yeah. it's a lot. But you know, in, in retrospect and, uh, I'm sure this is a duh thing for like pretty much everybody. Uh, it prepares you for being ejected out into the world where then suddenly you have many things to stay on top of. So um, it's good training and there's a good support system for it, which is nice. And you get, at least in my case, we got a really wide breadth of experience with different techniques and topics and um, strategies and um, approaches to solving problems and interesting problems to solve. And I think that that really... uh, I, you know, I, I after hearing about experiences that my peers my peers now have had in different design programs, I'm really grateful for the one that I went through. I mean, we they really tried to teach us a little bit of everything and introduce us to pretty much as like all uh, facets of design as they could. And I think it well prepared. Like all of my peers that I can think of now are doing vastly different things, um, and kind of have found their own passions or approach to design and can have used a little different part of what we all kind of collectively learned at the same time. Yeah. And that's very cool. So awesome. happy about that. Yeah, it sounds quite different to like over here. I hear like over here we have um, like the, typically the first year is it's like you don't touch the computers, it's all sort of mental and focused mm-hmm. um, on like ideas. We do and a stuff. lot of that. We do a right. ton of hand rendering, like hand rendering type. Yeah. And like coming up with icons and doing all of, uh, like, uh, all, and we do, we did all, like all of it in gouache on board and we had to mount everything by hand. Yeah. A bunch of stuff by hand. And I loved that. And I think it tortured all of my, uh, a lot of my peers who like wanted to be on the computer and, or who had like their whole portfolio when they applied for school was all digital stuff. But, <laughs> I was always like I was always much more of a traditional person. Like I like you know I like sewing. And yeah, like, I liked painting and building things, and um, so that was all great. I loved all of that. Cool, cool. Um, so I mean, you, you do a lot of education and stuff now, like from from what I hear. <laughs> um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, like, do you think that design is taught in, in the correct way, like uh, in school in the school system, like sort of government? Um, because over here, like I, I, I slightly feel like it's all the creative subjects are sort of pushed to one side a little bit, and everyone wants to be like, you know, what they want you to be academic, um, which I find so so frustrating. And um, when I heard about DIY.org, I thought that's that's an amazing way to you know, push people to, and encourage them. Um, why can't why, why why don't schools do that? Why don't why doesn't yeah. the government do that? Um, sure. So yeah, do you could you explain like what DIY.org is and sort of what your role is and and how it helps kids. <laughs> totally. Um, I mean, I, I certainly agree with you that um, it definitely feels like, uh, well, I think that creativity, like the, the word creativity gets lumped in with art, like yeah, yeah. people who are making art. And so because of that, a lot of people sort of like roll their eyes when people <laughs> say that creativity needs to be more, uh, more ingrained in school and not even just school, like childhood and growing up. Like a lot of it is really, 
um, is sort of underappreciated. But I mean, like I said before, like my parents, you know, they are not they are not artistic people, but they are creative people. Yeah. And you know, creativity is is way more than that. Like you can be a lawyer and be creative. Like you need to be creative to be a successful lawyer or um, uh, a shopkeeper or pretty much anything. Um, and so DIY sort of seeks to uh, encourage kids to cr- uh, uh, expand their creative problem solving. Oh, I guess I should explain what it is. But uh, the reason I was attracted to DIY was because it took that uh, nugget of like creativity is important and then spread it around on top of like the whole world of topics and then made that accessible to kids. Mm. Um, so DIY.org is an online creative community for just for kids um, that is entirely centered around making things and then sharing what you've made or what you're interested in um, and finding other kids around the world who are interested in those things. Um, DIY is pretty simply structured. Every kid who signs up gets a portfolio and they use that portfolio to share photos or videos of stuff that they've made or are working on. And then we have a big library of skills that are... um, these like bright, colorful hexagonal patches that are, it's kind of set up like a Boy Scout, like the Boy Scouts Girl Scouts model. We have this huge library of resources that kids can use to teach themselves new skills. Um, And they range from, you know, acting to zoology and everything in between. We have like Minecraft and backend engineering and beekeeping and uh, baking and uh, linguistics and kind of everything. Um, And so the, each of those topics is, organized by uh, a different skill patch and kids complete projects that are themed to that patch mm. so like if you wanted to become a baker you would do you, uh, you would make a pie or try making pastry dough or um, you know uh, bake gluten-free and then once you've completed a certain number of projects you earn a digital version of that patch I might have oh here um, are a bunch of them in like a thing awesome um, but so, and then you earn the digital versions of the patch and then we sell the embroidered ones, but you can kind of collect them and they're displayed at the top of your profile and so cool. you can kind of show off what you what you like to do and find other kids who have the same patches as you. And then you sort of find friends and the whole mm. community is really focused around making and teaching and learning and, uh, is a really great platform for especially kids who, uh, especially kids who live in environments that are, you know, maybe they don't have access to a lot of um, kind of new t- uh, techniques in the world, or they uh, don't have, uh, you know, if they live in the city, they never have access to a farm or anything yeah. like that. Like, really great way to broaden their perspective of the world and introduce new skills with a pretty low barrier to entry so a kid can find a passion that they not only never knew about but like maybe would have never uncovered in any other way Um, and the skill patches are really like we structure them in a way where all of the different challenges uh, progress in difficulty so you can you know any skill patch like regardless of whether you like want to be an engineer or a cartographer or anything like that there's always something that's very uh, pretty simple and pretty straightforward and accessible to any kid with any level of learning ability, any age, any language that they may speak. Like we try to keep the curriculum as open and flexible and um, cre- you know creatively mm. loose as we can, so that kids you know they get the prompt and then they can kind of run with it um, and adapt 
the topic to whatever they're interested in. Yeah. Yeah. And it's a great, you know, the, it's like if you are interested in drawing and you think you might want to be a beekeeper, but you like have no idea where to start, like you can draw a diagram of a bee and learn about its anatomy. And then from there, like you start, like as you're doing that, you learn about the different kinds of flower, like how bees pollinate and you learn that there are certain kinds of flowers that are better. And then when you, like the next time you go out into your neighborhood, you like, you see that flower that uh, works great for bee. And then it just sort of like builds this web based off of your existing experiences or expertise. Uh, and it just opens your, kind of opens your eyes to, uh, how interconnected everything is and how many like amazing things there are in the world to learn about so like, I mean it's incredible I think it's it's a great the, the people that are doing it the parents are, are they kids that already go to school and they do like this is an extra activity or or is it typically homeschool people or yeah it really really ranges um so the joy of the you know the joy of the really kind of flexible simple system is that it works for pretty much any kid in any yeah. scenario we do see a, a, we are pretty like i think i would say that our strongest collection of really active kids who have been part of the community for a long time are usually homeschool families uh they for a lot of kids like they learn about it through word of mouth from their homeschool groups mm. or they maybe their family comes across it as a good way uh, to inter- uh, as a good social outlet for kids who might live in the like in on a farm kind of out in the middle of the like the midwestern united states um and it's a really great place for them to you know meet a diverse range of kids that they may not have access to in real life so we do have a lot of homeschoolers we have a lot of kids who are um in any type of schooling, we have kids who are um, unschoolers or project-based learners or world schoolers, um, which are different, kind of different, flexible, uh, fa- like each each kind of unique to each family, but uh, parents who are really um, exploring ways to teach their kids based off of their kids' um, different interests or maybe the way that their family is structured if they live in an RV and travel the world. Um, wow. And they kind of learn on the on the in their travels and yeah, on the job, yeah. um, or they do projects that are based around their passions. We see a lot of kids who uh, are in those kinds of environments, and we actually have a lot of schools who uh, do you know like Genius Hour and Hour of Making and all of these kind of um, creativity and make based initiatives are really starting to. Um, for, which is amazing, are finally starting to infiltrate traditional schooling and kind of more common rigid institutions. And so we see a lot of schools that are, who like have group iPads and they uh, like do an hour on Fridays where they, like the kids all are assigned a skill to earn or they're told to earn a couple of different skills in that time or they collaborate with their classmates. So it really does range. Um, mm. I could I can think of probably five different five kids in any different one of those scenarios. Um, they they really it really does kind of cover cover pretty much any any use case that you can think of, and it's yeah. um, it's really flexible. Again, for like you know we have a really great um, collection of testimonials from families, especially um, like parents with autistic kids who have said that they've, you know, they've, it's a really great opportunity for a sort of low stress, 
but still supportive social environment where kids can kids who maybe don't feel comfortable talking about their projects or get very overwhelmed. Like it's a great way to learn how to pace the way that you explain what you've done or um, interact with other kids and talk about what you've made without feeling the sort of overwhelming uh, like panic or any other type of response. Um, It's a really great path for uh, kids with any level of learning ability to uh, start engaging with an online community. Um, And that's been really amazing to see too. Uh, we see a lot of really, really amazing personal growth and kids whose, uh, like, not only do their language skills develop, but their uh, their empathy grows, their, uh, like, beliefs and uh, patience, like, those mature. Um, and that's very cool. I mean, it's awesome to see, and it's great to see what, I don't know, childhood looks like now. Yeah. And it's very different than it has been five years ago and ten years ago and definitely 20 years ago. Um, but it's you know, it's a pretty remarkable thing to uh, be be able to come to work every day and spend time exploring. So definitely, yeah. I mean, I mean, that's living the dream as well. If you're a kid traveling in an RV, going around, oh, the, world, going around yeah. the world, and then learning from this platform, where it's yeah, yeah, yeah. All of the kids you. I've met who like live and travel in RVs are by like the coolest kids. Yeah. A lot of them come and visit us in the office, like on, yeah, in the middle cool. of their uh, their journeys across the United States or up the West Coast, and they are all totally rad. Like there is some <laughs> secret formula of parents who are like, you know what, we should raise our kids in an RV and travel. That's like, they're all amazing people. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, like it makes I don't I, I it makes me want to live in an RV, like raise my family in an RV. It's it's like something about it is really amazing, and it makes sense. Like getting to explore the like, country and like meeting all of the people and like being really good at communicating and being a good problem solver. Like if your uh, sewage breaks down, like it makes sense. So, yeah. but yeah, it's been, it, it's really great for them and it's really cool for us to meet them and know these amazing families. So. That's cool. Yeah. I mean, I mean, it's definitely, I'm not sure how you go around it, how, how you go around home, like teaching your own kids at homeschooling here in the UK, but, um, something I thought about I mean I'm only 19 I don't know why I'm thinking about it but it's it's something you think about quite a lot and, and it's yeah and it's amazing like well, it's very hard yeah um, like any any type of home, like homeschooling and being responsible for uh, your kids education and structuring yeah, yeah. that and being patient enough to to do it it's, it's like I have utmost admiration and respect for every parent that I meet who who is who has put themselves who is like made themselves very accountable for what their child is learning, especially if they're doing it solely like for the benefit of their child. Mm. It's like if they have a very creative child or maybe a child who struggles in traditional education settings and they're really customizing it to best support their kids growth. Like that's, that's amazing. Like that's very, very cool. And I think it's becoming a lot more popular now um, with this generation of parents. And that's very cool. It makes me, makes me very proud of my my millennial ilk it's like everyone is everyone recognizes that traditional schools are you know are are very numbers focused or like very results focused and are not creativity based and um people are starting to see that like the connection between that and unhappy like unhappy adults or unhappy kids and people are kind of taking responsibility for that and that's really nice that's i mean that's the one thing that i think that uh, schools have responsibility to do is to maybe even just sit them sit the kids down and say we, we can see you've got a talent for this 
you know, mm-hmm. we, we we really want to nurture this. We really want to push you on in this field. Is this something you want to do? And if the kid says yes, then I think it's their responsibility to to accommodate that. Unfortunately, it's, yeah, it's not happening enough. Um, sure. Well, and it's I mean, it's a it is a monstrous, like very yeah. slow moving uh, institution. So I think I think a lot of people are trying trying to to push the needle forward and. Uh, like I said, a lot of people are kind of taking that into their own hands, but I, I'm, I'm happy to see, you know, like the Hour of Code, the Genius Hour, like the project-based learning initiatives that are coming into schools, like people are really trying to customize curriculum to be more tailored towards kids' creative output, like all of that's really nice. I, it'll be, I, it's going to be a slow process to change it for sure, but it's, I, I think people are really starting to, I think it's starting to get recognized that that, yeah. that that is important. And, you know, it's, it's interesting talking to the kids on DIY who are in, uh, who are, who are attending kind of very standard school structures and they don't, they definitely don't feel creatively supported. They, they rarely talk half, like positively about their school. They, they say it's boring. They say mm. that they don't have any time to do any of the creative projects that they want to be doing on DIY or sharing with DIY. Um, and that's pretty heartbreaking, you know, like yeah. we want them to be happy and like exploring and learning. And that is so valuable, especially as we're moving into this world where like you need to be, you need to be creative. You need to think about how to use technology to, uh, like solve problems that have never existed before. Like those, like the, everyone needs to be a more creative thinker and a better problem solver and, and needs to be able to, uh, anticipate things kind of laterally and, um, think outside the box and like that, that you know it's there's there's a big disservice that being done to kids who aren't getting any training in that um, and whose families or home environments aren't actively supporting that so and that's you know that's kind of the gap that um, DIY sort of was was built to solve like it wanted to be that place for a kid who like was at, like uh, endlessly creative and had all of these things that they wanted to do or try or learn about and maybe didn't have access to those resources yeah. um, or didn't know where to get started. Like DIY sort of uh, sought to be that place where they came to find those things, to share those things and to find the other kind of weird geeky kids around the world who sort of felt the same way. So, and it's, we're still, yeah, we're still trying to hang on to that as much as we can. Do you, uh, you say it's, it's like a slow process. Do you like, how long is it before you see it really changing like, in this education in the um in the governmental oh, sort of yeah <laughs> uh, I don't know like let's definitely not get into politics but yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's a lot, there's a there's a lot of um, the <laughs> politics and the uh, Department of Education there's a lot of uh, kind of upper level things that um, don't really seem like they're actively working in in our favor uh in in the favor of the creative the uh creative like pushing forward with creativity so um in terms of like overall systemic changes i think it's gonna be a really long time Mm. but i do think that a lot of like i do think that more and more people are continuing to invent new types of schools new types of learning groups um, new types of extracurriculars, um, communities like DIY, like different types of uh, extensions to a learning experience that aren't just based off of like what you learn in school, like STEM, like the I don't I don't know if that, that concept that 
acronym is used in um, uh, Great, uh, Great Britain, but the yeah. STEM is science, technology, education, math, and that's kind of the like right. those focuses on um, like learning in school. So I don't know. I think people are looking for ways to extend extend what education and growth look like. Um, yeah. And you know, right now the like, kids get so much homework, and they yeah. school is not fun. It's just like a sit and listen and absorb, and then regurgitate for a test and move on. And there's really no. It's like not actively involved, and it's uh, they don't get to relate to a topic by using a path in that they understand like art or sculpture or dance or anything. Mm. So, um, I don't know. I think, I think people will, I think people will continue to find creative ways to, um, <laughs> find creative ways to encourage like, more creative growth. Yeah. And I'm hoping that that will happen sooner rather than later. So, but I do think a lot of that growth is going to come out of private, uh, private development and not uh, like public yeah, country wide stuff. Yeah, fair enough. A lot, um, of, a lot of countries are, I think, are really beating us on that. <laughs> yeah, I've, I mean, I, I could talk about this for ages, but um, it's, it's definitely something that I remember quite vividly as a kid. The sort of um, my mum and dad saying, you know, "School's the best time of your life. Enjoy it." And I'm, I'm, I always thought, like, is is it though? <laughs> and, I, and like, now I'm out of the system. It's it's like no, that was horrible. <laughs> what was <Yeah>. that? <laughs> I, yeah, I think that's. I think that, that yeah, that sentiment is so interesting. I think it's more of like a your youth is the best time because it's yeah. like you know you you're you don't have the weight of like the world's responsibilities on you, and that's totally true. That that part that part sucks, um, and you know. <laughs> It only it only gets harder and harder, but hopefully that like I think especially with um, college and um, pursuing like pursuing degrees or even if you choose not to pursue a degree like the kind of where you transition into that like finding work that's really valuable mm. for you and finding work that's really related to the like whatever you feel like your what you want to achieve or what you want to pursue or research or, or grow in like that is way better like I, yeah. I definitely think that the work I've been at DIY now for over three years and um, it's way better than it's way better than like high school was yeah. um, high school was fine uh, I didn't <laughs> I didn't loathe it but college was better than high school for sure um, yeah. and I got lucky because I found a school that I really liked and I was surrounded by people that I really liked um, and I know not you know not everybody has that experience um, I, you know, I, I think I got lucky that I sort of found the thing I was passionate about before, like, well before I had to apply for college, which again, not a luxury, mm. um, that, um, everybody who's, who wants to go to college has, but, um, yeah, no, I don't know. I, I think, I mean, uh, finding it like as if you can find a job that really, really scratches like the itch, your, your creative and mental itches, like it's way way better yeah. and I would tell that to any kid who's like is high school really the best time of my life so, no <laughs> no <laughs> if it is like you find a funner job <laughs> yeah yeah that's yeah exactly I mean it's people that say that you know usually aren't too happy in their jobs but um but to each to each their own I yeah. mean uh, you know I, I that my perspective is a very like uh, I like to make things. I like to be covered in paint. Like I go to work and I can spend an hour like building a cardboard Yeti sculpture if I if yeah. I need to take a break. Like that's that's an environment that's really great for me. And I kind of made I, I sort of got to the point where I figured out what that type of environment was my happy place. And 
everybody's got their own. So if, if like if an office environment that's very structured and very uh, like the goals are very outlined and uh, like uh, making money or um, really like focusing on an end goal and then achieving that with a team, like that's really, really energizing for some people. Yeah. And like you just got to figure out what that thing is for you and then find the right place to do it. But mine happens to be uh, <laughs> patches and cardboard and uh, people who like sing, narrate everything that we do in the office and like all <laughs> that kind of that kind of stuff. So. Yeah, uh, that's awesome. That it's, yeah, you found it, and um, yeah, I hope it continues. Um, mo- like moving on to the, the the patches, finally, and the felt and everything, oh, yeah, all yeah. the creative stuff. Um, Sorry, I ran, I, no, I, no, I it's awesome. Yeah, I could talk about that for ages as well. I mean, it's such a it's such an interesting topic to me, and um, I find it interesting to see like from different countries as well and see what they're doing. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, the, so the felt patches is what I found you uh, from, and it's yeah, I thought it was awesome. Oh, <laughs> How, the faces. Oh, uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah, the felt faces. Um, hundred oh. hundred days, and that's crazy. <laughs> is there, any, is there <laughs> a, yeah, I really enjoyed driving myself nuts with the uh, intense. Yeah, <laughs> intense yeah. Project. What have you? Are you doing? Because you, you did um, two years of that, didn't you? You did hundred days, and then the next year as well. Uh, the f- yeah, squares. I'm actually well. So I've, I'm in the middle of my third year doing it, and I, I've the the ball has like pretty much been dropped. It's still I've I seen, still yeah. I still have it, but I've been I've been trudging along a little bit more this year. But yeah, so the um, the, I've been doing, yeah, I've been doing the 100 day project for three years now. It's, um, uh, uh, these lights are really, really, <laughs> sorry. Um, oh no. <laughs> um, the 100 day project is a creative prompt where you pick an action, yeah. uh, some sort of creative action, and then you repeat that action every day for 100 days, technically in a row, but I have not managed to master that part yet. Um, so in the first year that I did it, I was kind of in the middle of a weird creative block. I was doing, um, I had been a DIY for six or eight months and was doing, um, content. I was designing the new, I was like working on the curriculum for the new skills and I was doing a lot of work in the community and I wasn't really doing any, uh, creative, like making, I wasn't making anything. I wasn't doing any like design work. I wasn't building anything um, aside from like little tiny things for like to share with the DIY kids. But um, after having been a designer for a while, I uh, it was a weird change, and I kind of hadn't found like a thing to make or that was like I, I could keep up with every day, and I felt kind of strange. So the hundred day project was announced. Um, and everyone was getting really excited about it. It was the first year that they did it. And I was like, all right, like, this seems like it might be fine. Maybe I'll torture myself for a hundred days. How bad could it be? Um, and so I, uh, I introduced it to the DIY community. Actually, I was like, Hey, I'm going to try this thing. You guys should also try this thing. Uh, and then I, I sort of locked myself into it. The very first year I made, um, I made a hundred little, this is a, like a, not one of the original hundred, but I made, um, a bunch of characters. They all kind of had the same style. They had the two eyes. Mm. They had the same sort of arm and leg structure. And then they were different personified objects for the most part. It was like a traffic cone or a lava lamp or a, um, 
uh, cinnamon roll or things like that. And so I would take like an object and then convert it into a character, basically by giving it legs and arms and eyes. Yeah, yeah, uh, and I made one of those every day. And I um, told the kids that if they finished the 100-day project, I would give them one of my finished so felt cool. creatures. So I got, like, 75 kids to complete <laughs> that first year. And that was amazing. They did amazing. Um, and then shipping um, 75 felt creatures to 75 kids around the world was a whole, a whole adventure in and of itself. Um, yeah, so the project was – that was the first year. And those were – uh, I was really into sewing in high school. It kind of became a weird, just like, high, like I, I, I guess one day I just decided I wanted to hand sew something. I made like a really lumpy old i like little iPod out of felt, um, and I think I got some sort. I got like a bug from that, and I started to um, make. Real, like they're all really lumpy and oblong and strange uh, felt creatures, and I started sharing them on DeviantArt and met friends who were interested in sewing, um, some of whom, like, I still know. I finally met one of them earlier this year after knowing him online for, like, 15 years. We had, like, exchanged monsters from across the country. Um, but so I, I was really into sewing in high school, and then I kind of stopped doing it in college, and I missed making things with my hands, so... When the first 100-day project came around, um, a kid on DIY actually had made this really cute um, fox. She designed this character that was a fox wearing overalls, and I thought it was adorable, and I recreated my own version of it. It's around here somewhere. Um, and I like I remembered that I really enjoyed making it, and I was like, oh, like I like making little characters. Um this is cool. So I was like, I'll just commit to making a hundred of them. So I did that and those were okay. And I, but I finished it and it was, I was really proud. So the next year, um, I tried to, those took a long time. So the next year I tried to, um, I, oh, uh, uh, the next year I was like, I'm going to do, oh, this is the fox cool. that I made that inspired the first hundred day project. It's really cool. It was originally designed by a girl named Meg March on DIY. Um, but so the second year I was like, I'm going to pick something that will take less time and will be much more manageable. So I decided to, uh, and I wanted to explore character design more. You know, a lot of the first year were pretty simple, uh, like one color felt with like maybe an extra detail on it. And I really wanted to see what kind of textures and effects I could make by layering felt or different, like playing with different colors and learning new embroidery techniques, which I hadn't really played with. So I decided to just limit it to faces. And I picked in like an arbitrary size. I think it was, it was two and a half inches by two and a half inches. And I was like, all right, cool. I'm going to design a hundred different characters and make faces every day. Um, and it, you know, that project was really, um, it was really fun. I mean, it, it, it really ended up being kind of exactly what I, I, I'd hoped it would be. And the, the, the response to it was really unexpected. Um, yeah. it was, I, you know, I, uh, it, it was always like the hundred day projects have always been a very personal thing for me. I, it's always been a kind of create a way to explore, um, like a skill and I, I usually attached some sort of personal meaning to it that kept me in it and mm. going and finishing it. Um, and I never really expected it to like, uh, anybody to, to relate it to up. it or yeah, find, yeah. like, it was nice that I had like a lot of my friends from college were like, these are cool, keep going. Um, but it, it ended up, and you know, primarily a lot of it was 
intended to share with the DIY community. Um, but the felt faces really, really grew in popularity um, over the course of the project um, and then started getting all of this uh, organic attention and got featured on uh, like BuzzFeed and Bored Panda and a bunch of those like cool stuff aggregator sites. Um, and it was it was totally unexpected and really bonkers and um, really, really strange, but it was, it was cool to um, have that kind of response to something that at the end of the day was still like a thing I need, I was like, I need to finish this because I need to finish this project. So I uh, am not a failure. So do you, do you think these sort of side projects keep you and well, it's not really a side project it takes so much time, but um. no, it's, it's totally a side project. <laughs> my, my full-time work is like, uh, is like many, it's like 50 to 60 hours a week. So, um, yeah. I squeeze, I, that was a f- another fun part of it. Oh, and the felt faces ended up taking a really long time. It was yeah. like three hours a day. Um, wow. which is why I did not make That's... one a day. Yeah. yeah. Um, but it was like, it was a cool, it was a cool way to be, to find like, Oh, I want to like, your brain is sort of focused on making a thing mm. and it's always there. Like you always are thinking about what the next one's going to be. And like, I, I ended up making, um, like a felt book that I could use to carry around my projects with me all the time. And I would just, you know, anytime I had five minutes, it's like you have a thing that you can pull out and work on and like get a little bit done with. So it was a, it was a great kind of way to have a constantly productive, uh, out, like output and use of any of my time. It's like, I, st- I, didn't like I stopped staring at social media yeah, or like yeah. YouTube videos or whatever and I just like make something on the bus or on the train or, you, um, at lunch do you think that like, keeps you fresh keeps your mind fresh and your, your sort of creative juices flowing totally yeah. um, I definitely um, was like uh, whenever I'm in when I'm like in a key not only that but it like keeps you in that mode where you're right. like you you are you're like you're noticing things more like if you're walking down the street like you aren't thinking about <laughs> like uh, checking your phone or uh, like where you're going or what you're gonna do that day you're like oh that texture would be cool to recreate or like oh that'd be a good photo background or um, like oh like I bet I could like incorporate that into a project like you start to you kind of everything becomes inspiration, which is cool, mm. um, and you can kind of use those and, and mix them in either in like I use them in the felt faces or um, it, I found that when when I have like I'm one of those people who uh, procrasti- procrastinates no but procrastinates oh. like, oh, like right, yeah. you don't work you don't do what you're supposed to because you like make something else yeah, instead. Yeah. Um, that makes sense. So That's awesome. the 100-day project is great for that because you have a thing you should be doing, which is your project that you've committed to doing every day. But then suddenly you have all of these other ideas that you want to do because you suddenly don't have time to do them. So I like filled up my sketchbooks with tons of different ideas. And you once you finish the project, it's like a huge sigh of relief. But then you have this momentum from keep going. making That's things so cool. every day. That's yeah, so you just kind of like move into that. So it's it was yeah it it kept me really sharp. Um, it kept me really happy, like, um, have it, like, like having an idea for something, making it, having it come out the way that you want it to, um, uh, or having there be unexpected surprises in the middle of it and kind of, um, still having it end up somewhere cool or maybe having it be a failure, but learning something from it, all of those things, like, and having that experience happen every day is really cool um and it's really helpful as a creative uh, as like a creative person or a person who um finds a lot of personal value in making things um because you're you're kind of always 
um, experimenting and learning and um, trying things and seeing if they work or if they don't. And that only informs kind of everything else that you do or other big projects that you take on or, Mm. um, you know, the thing I found it's like uh, things relate or help in ways that you really don't ever expect. Um, it's like, you know, you learn, you, you passively learn about like photo editing or the best time to take the right photos or, um, how, like what stitches are the fastest or how to, um, like how to layer things correctly because you've spent all this time like flipping around different pieces of felt. Like there's a lot of, and a lot of that, you know, really relates to pretty much anything else. Um, even if you don't expect it to. That's so cool. I, yeah, like you say, how it relates and just just keep you ticking over and creative juices flowing. It's awesome. I'm gonna get a side project. Um, <laughs> well, I'd, uh, the last thing I ask everyone is is like, can you give a bit of advice to to like young younger designers or, or sort of any designers and creatives out there? What what would be your number one tip? Sure. Well, uh, do the hundred day project is usually like, especially for people who, especially for people who like making things but feel like they don't have time to do it. Like, commit yourself to the 100-day project um, and then do it. Like, finish it. Um, that's It's really because it's, like, the every single person that um, I've encouraged to, like, I've encouraged to do it or who's found it on their own and has done it, um, it the, the takeaways are so unique to every person and they are so valuable and they extend to so many parts of a person's life. Um, it... It, it's really remarkable. Like it, I, I could sing its praises all day, um, and it really, like, I really do think that any person should should do it, regardless of whether they consider themselves a, an artist or a creative person at all, or if they think they're too busy. Though honestly, like anyone who can finish it who has kids, like, all of my hats off to them because I I don't know how you how like yeah. I would say that like you have the time to finish it. I have no idea how anybody. <laughs> with kids who has to like support them and a family and finish all of it like that that is an extra level of strength but um anyone should try it um and i think my other um along with that is um in any project that you do especially i think i got a one thing that was kind of uh i don't know if it's it's sad i don't know the right word for it but i got a lot of people who asked me um, like about the project in terms of how to gain followers or how to like, and I I think my advice for that is always like, don't ever go into any project or make anything with the intention of, or with the hope that it will be a thing that people like and follow you for, because it's like that, that doesn't mean anything like you, um, for the hundred day project and for any other creative project, find like, Find the seed of that thing that you're doing that is so valuable to you that is related to how you want to improve yourself or what you want to research or get better at or, um, I don't know, find find whatever it is that connects you to that work that you're doing and then fully focus on that every time you make it. Um, and I think, like, every person that I've know, like, I know who's done the 100-day project or is a passionate uh, something or like drawer or um, singer or anything who isn't making things because they want to pander to an audience, but is making things because they're trying to improve themselves and they're just constantly checking in and doing it and like always focusing on their growth and where they're going to, what they're going to try next. Like that is the kind of 
energy and creative uh, passion that people are really drawn to. So I think so. like, yeah, like, <laughs> like if you like, if you want to be like a famous, a famous <laughs> illustrator, like don't, don't think like, how can I become a famous illustrator? Yeah. Just be like, how can I be the illustrator that I want to be? Um, and then like, make a list and start doing projects that help you get to those things. And if you fail, like that's awesome. That just means that you're a little bit closer to figuring out how to do it. Um, and if you reach that goal and you're like totally happy with your work, then stay there. And if you reach that goal and you're like, ah, oh, still like, I don't feel it yet. Then like set the next goal and keep going and like share all of it, but don't, don't ever get dejected by like how many, how much attention you get. Or if like people say that it sucks cause people suck. Like don't, don't listen to people ever. There will always be people who like don't like what you do. Um, just like keep, just keep doing it. Like set those boundaries for for yourself and focus on what is right for you, and then just keep doing that um, and keep doing it and keep doing it. And people will be like, people will be really inspired that you are doing what is right for you. Um, and that's usually like those are the people that you want on your side and supporting you looking at your work anyway like you don't want the people who like I got the um, it's like the I, one of my felt faces was featured on the Instagram account like the main Instagram yeah. page um, cool. and like that was crazy. That was a really crazy experience. And like, there's like 8,000 people started following me in like wow. 24 hours and those are the people who were like it's like I want to buy this, sell this to me. Or like, um, and I was like, Oh, I can't, like I have a job. Um, uh, which was cool. Like, it's cool that people want to, wanted to buy a thing, but, um, but they were like, make this, like make a Miyazaki character, like do this. And then like, if yeah. you post, those are the people who are like, here's a picture of my, my face or like me and my grandma, like, uh, this is so important to me. They're like, where are your creative creations? And then they un unfollowed and like, those aren't the people that you want, like looking at your work. Like you want the people who are there because they like you and the things that you're making and the things that drive you. So be that person. Don't, don't just like make things that people want to want to see because those people will not stay around. That's awesome advice. Now, thank you very much for being on the show. Really appreciate it. Thank you so much for the invite. It was really nice talking with you. Where can people find you on the internet? Where can people say hello and, and buy your stuff as well? Because I know you sell a few of them on Etsy as well. I, I do. I, I make a few. Yeah, I make a few. I, I um, it's it's definitely like a. I, I, I try to make as many as I can, but there's only so much time. Yeah. Um, my Instagram handle is bargraph, like the chart, but yeah. with an F instead of a ph b a r g r a f. Um, on Twitter, which I, I really don't use, so don't follow me on Twitter, but um, it's Becky Margraf. Um, and I have a Facebook page, which is, they're all different, and I'm really sorry about that. My Facebook page is uh, facebook.com slash bookie margoof, uh, B-O-K-Y-M-A-R-G-O-O-F. Um, and then my, uh, that, yeah, I, in, Instagram is really the only social platform that I really regularly use. Mm. Uh, and I, I post pretty infrequently because I, 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 I do I do use, I yeah. like to, I post a lot of, um, like process shots on uh, the stories, so that's really the <laughs> the main place that I share anything. But cool. uh, yeah, Instagram. I'll put uh, I'll put the links in the show description anyway, so everyone can find it there. Um, uh, <laughs> yeah. Well, thanks very much. I really appreciate the time. Yeah, of course. Thank you so much.
Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Crazy Waffle podcast. I really appreciate Becky's time and for being on the show. That was an interesting conversation. We haven't had uh, one that long for a long time on the podcast. Talked about loads of different things and really got into the education side. Also, Becky's involvement with DIY.org is, is phenomenal. I hope it's the way that education moves on and hope they really get more interactive with kids and really help, uh, really try to understand them rather than just put them through the system. Anyway, let me know what you thought of this episode, uh, your thoughts on the education system too, that'd be quite interesting. If you could leave them down below in the comments, that'd be amazing. And thank you very much for listening. Uh, appreciate all of your love and don't forget to subscribe on YouTube. Leave a review if it's on iTunes, it really does help. Thank you very much and I'll see you in the next episode.